You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. I'm very happy to be bringing you another midsummer habitat update. This one is going to be focused on the U.S. prairies. We had Dr. Scott Stevens on a, an earlier episode, and we, he gave us a rundown of how some Recent rain events across the Canadian prairies have improved wetland conditions, potentially for brood rearing late in the summer. And so we thought it would be appropriate to jump over to the U.S. side of the border and see how things have transpired throughout the breeding season in in that area. And to do that, I'm very excited to welcome in a first-time guest on the Ducks Unlimited podcast, a good friend of mine, Dr. Johan Walker, who is the Director of Operations for Ducks Unlimited's Great Plains region. Johan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. It's good to be here with you. I should say you are a newly minted Director of Operations for the Great Plains region. You've been in that position now for, what, four months, five months? Um, I started April 1st, so not just a little over three months, I think. Okay, so right at the peak of all this coronavirus worldwide pandemic thing. That had to be fun. <laughs> yep. My first day in this new role was April Fool's Day, and it sure has seemed kind of surreal ever since. But I'm proud to say that our team in the prairies is, and in the migration states, Nebraska, Kansas, Colorado, and Wyoming, is getting a lot of work done despite all of the challenges. Outstanding. That could be a conversation in itself. And we do want to have you back on at some future time to talk about all the great work that happens out of your office and throughout that region. But today we wanted to get some insight from you on habitat conditions, how they may have changed here over the past couple of months in the Dakotas, maybe into Montana or even Minnesota, if you have some insights there. You are, I want want people to know, you are a scientist by training. You've become an administrator, but you're, you still think like a scientist. I know you well enough to know that. Um, and you also are really good friends with the person that we had talked to us about Habitat Conditions in the Prairies, Dr. Scott Stevens. Now, I do have to tell you, Johan, that Scott is a member of the Five Timers Club. means he has been on the Ducks Unlimited podcast five times, and he was trying to negotiate some kind of Sitka jacket from me last time we we had him on. Uh, And so you, I just have to to make sure you know, you are just now a member of the One Timer Club, so I suspect the two of you will kind of have to hash that out. He'll hold that over you somehow, I do imagine. I'll I'll be keeping my eyes peeled, and I won't be surprised if it turns out that way. (laughs) That's right. You guys actually used to work together in the Dakotas, and so I'm sure you'll have a lot of stories to share, but we'll get to those some other time for now. Let's turn our attention to a habitat update. We want to try to keep this short for our listeners. What can you tell us about some recent rain events that have occurred there across the U.S. prairies, and what has it done for wetland conditions that would that might benefit uh, waterfowl? Yeah, so that's a great that's a great kind of lead-in, Mike. We have had 
a variety of kind of really intense and localized rain events, especially across North Dakota and the Devil's Lake Basin and parts of South Dakota down into the James River lowlands and south from there. So the eastern part of the Dakotas came out of the winter wet, as you heard, and 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 hosted a pretty good population of breeding pairs that I think nested enthusiastically. And just when things were getting kind of suspenseful and starting to really dry out, we got some big shots of rain, three, four, five. I heard six inches in a few places. I was up around Lakota, North Dakota in the, in the early part of July and saw, you know, creeks and and drainage is running up there and full wetlands and lots of broods. So the punchline on all of this rain is that it came at an ideal time for hatching broods, especially blue-winged teal broods and late mallard broods. The, the, the blue-winged ducks in particular seem to have done really well, but my reports from folks out there are that all the wetlands have water, in that eastern part of the Dakotas, and they also all have broods. That's outstanding news. And Canada and the U.S., when we're talking about the prairies, offer a bit of a contrast this year. Uh, as you mentioned, and uh, as we heard from Mike Zemanski, things were really wet coming out of winter in, in the Dakotas. Uh, but it was a bit the opposite in Canada. Things were, were pretty dry. There was some variability across that large landscape with exactly how dry it was. And so as, but both areas here in midsummer received some rainfall. And so on the U.S. side of the prairie, as you described, it's almost the best case scenario from start to finish where you come out of the winter, go into the spring with abundant, abundant wetlands, uh, wetlands of, of all different sizes that created great habitat for, for ducks that are returning north to settle and take advantage of. And then as things were starting to dry out and when, as you described it, things were getting a bit suspenseful, you had this pulse of rain which benefited any of those late nesting ducks, but most importantly, a lot of those broods that were, were getting on the, um, hitting the wetlands at that time. But on, in Canada's side, we probably had lower productivity from the start because of the drier habitat conditions. But similar to what we saw in the, in the Dakotas on the U.S. side, when that rain came in midsummer, it would have a benefit to those ducklings that did get produced. So a bit of a contrast there, but a good situation Nonetheless, on both sides of the border, ensuring that what pretty much ensuring or, or increasing the chance that what production did occur is going to have a much better chance reaching it to fledge. Is that a fair assessment? That's right, Mike. I think that's a really good way to encapsulate it. And I mean, I think a thing that might be of interest to some of your listeners is that that timing of rain and amount of rain really brings up that shallow wetland component that's drying out. And that's an incredibly productive setting for broods. So you're right. I mean, I think that the thing that's tricky to think about is we're talking about an area the size roughly of Texas, from Edmonton, Alberta, all the way to Des Moines, Iowa. And within that area, there were so much, there was so much variability in early conditions that even with this good production, it might only add up to an average year for the entire area. But, but there's some great local production, which is kind of bailing us out, if you like. 
What have you heard with respect to Montana? Did they were they the beneficiary of any of this, any of those storms that may have come through? Yeah, so that's that's a great question, and I just talked to the Montana folks earlier today, and what they're telling me is they were, and they came out of the winter in decent shape along the Montana High Line. But what's interesting is that Northwest North Dakota is much more in the situation that South Central Saskatchewan is in. So very dry and was dry well into the nesting season. But that little piece of the Montana High Line is is pretty wet and the nesting cover was great and the reports I'm getting there are pretty optimistic as well. Johan, help me out with that Montana High Line. Where is that within the state? So the best way to think about the Montana High Line, if you don't know highways, it it's between the it's it's between the Missouri River, north of the Missouri River, and east of the Rocky Mountains, and west of the North Dakota border. So it's a very thin strip and includes some really impressive pothole country, but not a lot of it. We're talking maybe eight to 10% of the pairs in the prairie pothole region in any given year. And good nesting cover in that landscape. In the U.S. prairies. Yeah, and good nesting cover in that landscape as well, primarily in the form of native grassland. Is that one of the areas of grassland strongholds? That's correct, Mike. That is one of the least cultivated areas within the U.S. prairie pothole region for sure. And so there are large expanses of grassland for nesting cover. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Let's go to the east a little bit. Have you heard anything out of uh, Minnesota? We really haven't spoken with anyone in the Great Lakes states about habitat conditions over there this summer. Uh, we're going to try to connect with someone to talk with us about some Michigan habitat conditions, Wisconsin, and maybe get into uh, Minnesota as well. But I know there is a portion of the historic prairie pothole region that comes into Minnesota. Do you have some insights on how habitat conditions may have unfolded in Minnesota this year? I don't have much information about Minnesota. I mean, I know that they are, I haven't heard anything extreme, like extreme wet or extreme drought. And the interesting thing about Minnesota, of course, is that 90 plus percent of the original wetlands, including a lot of those shallow wetlands I was just talking about, have been drained. So what you often get out of a system like Minnesota with fairly stable precipitation is a low but steady level of of productivity year after year. Not many birds, not many broods, but they're generally about the same size. Did you get a chance? Minnesota DNR, I know, does a does a pair survey. Did you get a chance to look at that or they published that yet, Mike? I hadn't looked for it. I was not aware that they conducted that survey this year, did they? I don't know if they did. That's a good question too. I just wondered since you might be looking into that even more than I am. But that's a, yeah. you could go on, anyone who's interested could go on the Minnesota DNR website and look for that survey. Yeah, that one that one probably slipped 
slipped past me if it was conducted, but uh, I'll look into that as we get closer to the hunting season here over the next month or so and perhaps do some reflection on what the conditions may have been in some of those states. So, Johan, just kind of help frame this up for, for Southern hunters. This is the time of the year where people are starting. They can feel it. They can see we're only a couple of months away from that teal season. Uh, you guys are, are pretty much in the same boat. You're you're actually looking forward to the regular duck season in Canada. The duck season opens in early September, so we're almost there. It feels it feels like we're going to make it, and <laughs> we didn't think early on this year that we were really going to be able to get through. But in fact, we are. We can start to see the light towards that that waterfowl hunting season that's that's upcoming. Uh, but sort of frame this up for people. We've heard great reports out of the out, out of the Dakotas coming out of winter into spring and now the great precipitation that you have talked about. Uh, and, and that's going to generate, should produce fairly high levels of recruitment out of the Dakotas. But put that into perspective with regard to what it means in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's, it's easy for hunters to hear that and re- get really excited. But then we also have to think about what happened in Prairie Canada, what happened in the Boreal Forest, what happened in Alaska. And then, of course, the Great Lakes Stakes produce a Great Lakes states produce a lot of ducks for for some of the hunters in eastern U.S. as well. So just because we had great conditions, relatively speaking, in the Dakotas doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate into a great waterfowl season for everyone in the Mississippi and Central Flyways, does it? No, that's that's good insight, Mike. So like I was talking about earlier and like you just laid out very nicely – there's a lot of geography involved here and a lot of variation and where the rain was and how wetland conditions were coming in. I'm sure you heard from Dr. Stevens that, you know, central Saskatchewan, for example, was extremely dry during the nesting season. That always hurts productivity. And you're right, considering what the boreal forest might have done or the Great Lakes might have done can have a big influence on how many birds show up in front of your blind or your boat, depending on what state you're in. So I would be overstepping by a sight if I said I can say what duck season will be like. (laughs) What I can say, you know, based on a few things that I'm seeing is I'm getting excited and hoping that a cold front doesn't chase the blue wings out of North Dakota before we have a chance to to give them a visit. And I suspect there'll be some blue wing teal headed south for some of those early teal seasons. And so if the weather cooperates and pushes teal into places where folks are hunting when they're out there, there'll be some, there'll be some teal available coming out of the Dakotas. I, I hesitate to speculate about the bigger ducks, the mallards and the pintails. That's, that's a little tougher. And if I had to guess, I'm going to guess that we'll be dealing with an older duck population overall this year. More adults, fewer young birds. And so we're going to all have to hope that weather helps us out a little bit. Yeah, that's consistent with some of what we've heard from other people as well. Because to to get a fall population of those bigger ducks, as you described them, that is uh, that, that has a large number of juveniles in it, you need production to be good across a large landscape because some of those bigger ducks 
breed over a much larger percentage of that landscape. Mallards are the best case. You know, they, they breed well up into the Canadian prairies, all throughout the Canadian prairies, into the boreal forest. And it's not as though the Dakotas by themselves can really move the needle significantly on the age ratio in a continental population of a duck that breeds across such a large landscape. Teal may be a bit of an exception when you look across some of these species of waterfowl. They are a prairie specialists. They are known to take advantage of good habitat conditions whenever they find it. They they are not as phytopatric as some of the other species. And so we probably did have a disproportionately high percentage of teal take advantage of those good conditions in the Dakotas uh, this year. Does that, does that seem to be fair? That's what I'm expecting to see when some of the early brood survey data comes out from North Dakota Game of Fish or South Dakota game fish and parks is that that we did get some some good teal production for all the reasons you just laid out the wild card mike is also you know gadwall or gray ducks and how they did late later nesters and you know their broods are just starting to show up they too are prairie specialists but they're a little more phylopatric as you put it a little more inclined to home to the sites where they were hatched so for them, it depends some on whether there's water where they decided to go. I think you referred to Gadwall as gray ducks. Did I hear that correctly? I did. Huh? I thought that might be familiar to some listeners. Here. Absolutely. Our Louisiana listeners will appreciate that. I appreciate that too as a person that lived in Louisiana for 14 years. So thank you for connecting with that nomenclature. Uh, a quick final question here, Johan. I don't want to keep you too very long. Um We've talked a bit, and I think we had a, an episode released maybe today on the day that you and I are recording this about the U.S.-Canada border closure and what that might mean for waterfowl. And I think I even discussed this with Dr. Scott Stevens as well, his insights on kind of what the current status of that closure is. And I, I don't want to revisit those questions. What I'll ask you is that if the border remains closed, and this is where you and I as scientists don't always like to go because we're having to speculate a little bit, but if the border remains closed and non-residents from the states, uh, from U.S. residents are not allowed to go into Canada and hunt as non-residents, are you expecting, and maybe even if they do open it later on, are you expecting a bit of an influx in hunters to the Dakotas this year? Maybe people would be scheduling their trips for the Dakotas instead of Canada? You know, Mike, I think that's a really reasonable hypothesis. So, I mean, kind of walking through it saying folks are still going to be interested in hunting. Many of those people who had planned a trip to Prairie Canada might reconsider a trip to the Dakotas. And in particular, North Dakota, which sells non-resident waterfowl licenses at a higher volume than South Dakota does. I believe folks would have had to have gotten into the draw in South Dakota a while back. And I don't know for sure what their demand was for that. But I suspect all non-resident South Dakota licenses will be subscribed, which is normal. And then there may be a lot of folks, depending on whether they decide to cancel their trip or try try North Dakota, that would consider coming to North Dakota. I just can't say how many. I, You know, in the interest of keeping us all interested in the sport that we love, I mean, I'm, I'm expecting I'll see a few more folks, and I kind of hope that I do. 
Yeah, and I don't. I won't ask you to speculate any more beyond that. We, Chris and I, had some discussions about well, if there are an additional five thousand hunters that go into North Dakota, what's that going to mean for the ducks? Is that going to push them out of out of there sooner? And that gets into a discussion of a whole number of variables that we could really start speculating about. And a couple of scientists doing that, we could be here for another half hour. So I'm not going <laughs> to. I'm not going to do that to you, Johan. What I what I will do is just echo what you said, and that uh, encourage people to get out, take advantage of these opportunities wherever they may be in your backyard, in the Dakotas, in the Great Lakes. Make a, take a trip to the West Coast, the East Coast, find some of these opportunities. Uh, I do imagine we've talked about this uh, as well that. If if we are still under coronavirus, COVID-related restrictions, uh, social gathering restrictions into the fall and winter, people are going to be getting out, doing different things, looking to get out and spend some time out of the house. And these types of recreational pursuits, hunting and, and other, other – whether it be waterfowl hunting or other types of hunting – are going to be on the list, and we certainly encourage people to do that. It's a great time to reconnect with something that you may not have done for a number of years, and so we certainly encourage that. So any final words for our listeners, Johan? Just thank you for having me on, and I hope everybody has a good fall and things work out and we get, get some birds moving across the continent. It's nice to be able to count on the ducks when everything else is so crazy. Absolutely. And so this, uh, with the conclusion of this episode, this means that you now have officially one episode under your belt. We will try to get you caught up to your um, your old buddy, Dr. Stevens. It may take a while, though. I think you're actually a fair bit busier than he is. Uh, he is so so easy to get on the get on the phone. He actually shared with us that uh, he thinks some of his, his co-workers would say that he's able to get on the podcast so frequently because he doesn't have anything else to do. And so I know that's not the case with you. You are an, incre- <laughs> you are an incredibly busy person. Uh, I also do want to, again, extend my congratulations to you on being the new director of operations for the Great Plains region. And thank you for all that you're doing up there and look forward to getting you back on to talk about some of those uh, efforts in more detail. So thanks a lot, Johan. Thank you, Mike. Take care. A special thanks to our guest on today's show, Dr. Johan Walker of Ducks Unlimited's Great Plains Regional Office. We certainly appreciate his insights on habitat conditions in the Dakotas and how they are shaping up here in midsummer. As always, we thank our producer, Clay Baird, who does the editing of these shows and then gets them out to you, the listener. And of course, the listener, we thank you for joining us. We thank you for sharing your time with us. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash dupodcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. <laughs>